Hey. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you are here today and you, um, you know, have a child you would like to dedicate unto the Lord once again, uh, just as a way of affirming your commitment and our, to God and our commitment to help you in that, uh, please let us know. Let Valerie know we'd love to, to join you in that. A couple things before we jump into the word of God is next week is our sports camp. And so we are very excited about that. Whoa, yay, sports camp. Uh, it's one of the greatest opportunities we have during the year to reach our community and also a great opportunity uh, to disciple our own children in the faith that they may learn more about Jesus. So every day next week, Monday through Friday from five to eight, uh, we have a team coming in that's gonna lead a camp. It's gonna be a lot of fun and it's also gonna be very intentional in terms of spiritual investment. So it's certainly worth having your children there. And it's also a great opportunity to invite family, friends, maybe your neighbors, maybe people who don't know the Lord. It's an easy thing to invite them into to learn more about Jesus and to get involved in the community here. So take advantage of that. You can sign up online. You can learn more about it in our newsletter. Please do that. And then secondly, there's a Guatemala interest meeting after service today over in the co-working space. So if you're interested in that mission trip, which is in October, please come join and let us know. We'd love to have you there. All right, so I'm going to test your movie knowledge this morning. I have a quote for you, and I want to see if you know where it's from. Here's the quote, all right? And he kind of whispers it. It's a famous actor. He says, Carpe diem, seize the day, boys. And he leans in. He says, Make your lives extraordinary. Where is it from? All right, we have one. Yeah, yeah, all right, one person. There we go. One person who's willing to admit they watch movies. Okay, so the rest of you read your Bibles all day. I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, once again, wait, just to be clear on preaching, okay, if I quote a movie, that doesn't mean I recommend the movie, all right? I don't even know if I've seen the whole thing, okay? So uh, I have no idea. But here's the quote. It's very famous. Obviously, it's from Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society, and he's standing with a bunch of young uh, students, and he's putting them in front of these pictures of people that have gone before them and people that were young back in their day but have now passed. And he's making them look at these guys and consider their life and that they only have a season of life to live and they ought to make it count. And so he tells them this phrase, which we all come to know now, carpe diem, which means seize the day. And he adds to make your lives extraordinary. Now, there's something inside of all of us that loves that kind of talk. We all get very motivated when we see a team get inspired by a good speech. We all have these moments when we're watching a film or even living life where we think, man, yeah, I'm really going to tap into the meaning of life. I want to make my life count. And we all feel like this at times, yet then life begins to beat it out of us. And the phrase we would probably say back is, well, how can I seize the day if I'm just trying to make it through the day? That's the difficulty we find, is how can I seize the day if I'm just trying to make it through the day? How, how can I seize the day if I'm just trying to keep these kids alive, right? You know, like this is goal number one. How am I supposed to seize the day? How can I seize the day for some of you when you're struggling just to get out of bed, just to, just to make it to start the day? How can I seize the day, you think, when I'm just trying to not punch my boss in the face? You know, I'm just doing everything I can to control myself at a place I hate working. How, how am I supposed to seize the day? You're like, listen, I'm just trying to make it through the day. And what I want to do this morning is give you a reason and some actual power to do the thing that is put in your heart to do. And we all get discouraged and depressed and overwhelmed. We have low motivation and this prevents us from doing that, which is exactly why the world around us is obsessed with things like time management, goal setting, mindfulness, 
having time logs of how you spend your day and the food you eat, how to be the most productive person you can possibly be. I mean, materials abound around us to help us seize the day and to help us overcome the things that get in the way of seizing the day, which is our distractions, our lack of motivation, our bad habits, etc. But ironically enough, usually those things just add burdens and more things to do in our life that we simply don't have the power to do. And what I want to do today, this morning, is for whether you're here, you know, for the first time, whether you don't know Jesus at all, I want to help you understand what does it look like to make the most of your life through trusting in Christ and how that makes sense for you. But I also want to help all of us understand that God, listen, God wants to make the best use of your time more than you do. God wants to use your life and to help you seize the day to give you what he calls abundant life more than you do. And what we have to understand from the passage this morning and what we're going to learn is that the way you seize the day is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And your ability to seize the day or not is really determined by the Spirit that leads and guides your life. And if you are here apart from Christ, the spirit that leads and guides your life is either yourself or really the world, the thoughts of the world around you. It's really hard to seize the day and make your life count when really you're obsessed with being successful and having as much money and being as well known as possible. It's hard to seize the day when the goals of your life is to increase your pleasure in life. And so if you're going with the spirit of the world, it's going to make it really not make any sense for you to make a difference, to serve and to seize the day. And if you're going with the spirit of yourself and simply survival mode and looking out for yourself, uh, we've said this a million times, but if you could change yourself, you'd have done so already. <laughs> so that's just a bad strategy to rely on yourself to make the changes in your life that you have been unwilling and unable to make for your entire life. So if you're relying on those spirits, then you're going to struggle with this. But there is a solution, and it is found in the Spirit of God, and there is a way for you to live fully in God's Spirit. Uh, this commentary said it, about, said it this way, which I think has been convicting me all week, and I think will be something to give you thought, is that much of the weakness, he says, much of the weakness, defeat, and lethargy in our spiritual life can be attributed to the fact that we are not constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. To simplify the struggles, especially of my Christian brothers in the room, to say much of the weakness, defeat, lethargy, I would add, you know, apathy, lack of motivation, lack of zeal in our spiritual life can be attributed to the fact that we are not constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the problem that we have is we attribute our lack of zeal, our lack of motivation, our discouragement, our lethargy, our weakness, our defeatedness, we attribute that to the wrong things like busyness or I have too many responsibilities or my circumstances or my health are bad. And so we look at what's going on internally in our lives and we attribute it to the external reality of the world around us. Well, if I wasn't so busy, if I didn't have so many responsibilities, if life was actually more comfortable and not as painful, if my circumstances were better, those are the reasons why I'm experiencing this lowness, discouragement, why I really don't have it in me to make the most of my time and my days. And because we're identifying the wrong problems, we cannot identify the right solution. 
You are not lacking in zeal or lethargic or defeated or weak because you are too busy or because you have too many responsibilities or because life and circumstances are not pleasant currently. Those are not the reasons why you find it hard to seize the day. Those are contributing factors. But the reason and the simple reason is this, is that you are not constantly opening yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a power that is strong enough to overcome your weaknesses, circumstances, struggles, and trials, and allow you to seize the day, even in the midst of many responsibilities, to seize the day, even in the midst of painful struggles and circumstances, to seize the day, even in the midst of your own difficult feelings and struggles. There is a power strong enough to do that. And when you begin to lock in and access that power, which is available from God, your life will dramatically change. And therefore, I really believe with all my heart, I always believe this about any sermon based on the word of God, because God changes people's lives through his word. But there is, there is a key that unlocks your existence here in this passage that can dramatically change the way you live from today on. And I want to help you see that. And so go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go. Let's go. All right. I don't know if y'all ready to seize the day on that one. You know, all right. So I'm going to give you one more chance. Let's open the Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. There we go. All right. All right. We're excited to hear from the Lord this morning. I hope you came to hear from the Lord because I don't have anything to say. So uh, if you didn't come for the Lord, there's not, nothing to talk about. Okay. Verse 15. This is what God says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Here's basically the phrase of the passage, the what, the big point, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine. So if verse 16 is the what, here's the how for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So I make the best use of my time by being filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we'll stop there. And the first thing I want you uh, to consider, and I just have two main ideas for you this morning, is based off the what and the how. The first one is this, you must be careful so you can be courageous. What does it look like to seize the day, to make the most of your time and your life? Well, it starts with being careful. You must be careful so you can be courageous. Look in verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, which is to pay close attention to how you walk to pay close attention to the way you live your life, to pay close attention to the things you give attention to. Just like a runner pays close attention to how they run and really how they take every step to maximize the speed at which they can run, so it is true with us that we ought to give careful, considered attention to every step of our life, how we are living and why we are living that way. We must watch diligently and be careful to do so because otherwise, if we do not give careful attention to how we are living, we will by default be lulled into moral complacency, apathy, and lethargy in our life. So if we do not give careful attention to how we live, 
We will join the tide in the stream of the world and will drift towards moral complacency, ungodliness, and certainly a lack of courage if we are not careful. This is why he says in verse 15, look carefully how you walk. A way you can say this is that attention determines direction. Attention determines direction. The thing you give attention to and the things you give attention to and certainly the things you give the most attention to will simply determine the direction of your life. It is that simple. And so whoever you are listening to, however you are living your life, where you fix your eyes and your mind, what you think about, the people that you have in your life, the people who get your attention, the things who get your attention will determine the direction of your life. It's important for us to live this way, it says, because the days are evil. We must not be unwise, it says, but wise. So you really have two choices every day of your life. It simplifies your life. And instead of us thinking like there's a fork in the road every few years, or like when I decide on a job, or when I decide on a spouse, or when I decide on a big situation or an investment, whatever, we say, man, that's a fork in the road. My life could go left or right. I want you to consider the fact that there's a fork in the road of your life every five minutes. That every decision is an opportunity to be wise or unwise. Every decision is an opportunity to live with wisdom or foolishly. Every decision is an opportunity to orient your life around the evil of the world or to orient your life around the wisdom of God. And therefore, you are always taking a path. You didn't once take a path and stay on that path. You are constantly making decisions. There is a fork in the road every five minutes of your life. And therefore, you must be very careful that you do not make an unwise and foolish decision. This is why the Proverbs are so important. Basically, the Proverbs are the two paths. And the entire book of Proverbs describes the life of a wise man and the life of a fool. And it gives you examples along the way of what a wise man is like and what a fool is like. And you can choose those two paths every day with every decision. Therefore, we ought to be wise and consider it as what the Lord would have us say. It's also important to live this way because the scripture says here, the days are evil. You have to consider if you were walking through a minefield, I think you'd be pretty careful with every step you took. If you considered with every step I could potentially blow up and die, I'd probably be very careful with the kinds of steps that I take. I would look out at my circumstance, I would understand the seriousness of my situation, and I would begin to walk carefully. It's the same principle God's giving us now spiritually is to say the world is a minefield. The temptations around the world abound. The way the world is teaching you to live and that will absolutely destroy your life, what the world calls wise, the Bible calls foolish. So if I'm living according to the wisdom of the world, I'm going to think I'm being wise while at the same time living as a fool. And there's a minefield of lies, a minefield of temptations all around us. And if we thought about it this seriously, we would take more consideration with every step that we took. Imagine that the possibility is that around every step and every decision is the potential of blowing up your life, of destroying your soul of going down the wrong path. This is the seriousness at which God presents the reality around us that the days are evil and therefore we ought to be careful with the way that we live our life. It would be hard to be courageous to save other lives if you were not careful to make sure you didn't blow up yourself. If you're walking through a minefield and you're not careful, not only will you be hurt, but also you will now be unavailable to help anyone else. 
you will be unable to serve and unable to help. And so it is with us, the more that we make those kinds of decisions that destroy our own souls, the more it has an effect on our ability to serve and to save and to help other people and to join God in what he's doing in that. Therefore, we ought to be careful because the days are evil. This connection is also important for us to understand. He says, we must make the best use of the time because the days are evil which is an important thing for us to understand because as Ephesians 5 just talked about, we must bring light into the darkness and we must expose the darkness. And so the idea now isn't, well, the days are evil and things are bad, so you should hide and stay safe. That's not the impression being made here. Because the days are evil and the situation is so dire, why don't you look out for yourself and your family? You should hide and stay away from the danger. No, no, no. It presents the exact opposite that because, precisely because, there is so much lostness around us, so much brokenness around us, because sin is wreaking havoc on the world around us, because people die apart from Jesus and spend eternity in hell without having faith in Christ. And that's happening every day around us. Because the poor are not being being fed, because oppression and injustice is happening all around us, because these things are happening all around us, therefore, in light of the brokenness of the world and the darkness of the days around you, the world needs your light more than ever. So do not hide or step back and certainly do not waste your time. The world around you needs you to bring your light into that darkness. It's precisely because the evil of the days that the world needs the light of Christ that is in you. The evil is not a reason to hide and the darkness is not a reason to run away. But all the time we say around here, light is made for darkness. The phrase he's going to use here, time, doesn't talk about every minute. It's not the idea of every minute of the day, which is obviously true that we should make the most of every minute. But the idea here is a season of time, which is basically your life. And it's that you have an allotted time. This is why Moses says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. You've been given an allotment of time. You do not know how long that time is, but it is not very long. You have a season in the midst of the history of the world to make a difference and to bring the light of Christ into the brokenness of the world around you right now in 2023. You have a season of time. And so the Bible then says you ought to redeem it. So when it says make the most of it, you could also translate it, redeem it or buy it back. Meaning that because the world is evil, therefore time is dedicated to the cause of the world, which is evil. And therefore by the blood of Jesus Christ, you now go into that and you buy it back and you begin to take back everything the enemy's trying to take away. You step into the darkness and you redeem the things that are going wrong for the grace and mercy, by the grace and mercy of God, you redeem it so that it may be bought by the blood of Jesus and receive new life in the name of Christ. So that areas, places, families of darkness can enjoy the light of Jesus Christ. This is the idea that because Jesus has bought you and redeemed you by his blood, so by example, you take the same blood of Jesus and the message of the gospel gospel and you go out and begin to buy back people in the world. You begin to take what is evil and you begin to redeem it by the power of God for good. You begin to join God in this message and this mission and you begin to take back the things the enemy is trying to steal. 
Because the one thing you ought to consider is that if the world is so evil around us, and as we see this happening day in and day out, because the world is so bad, you know what that means? That means that the devil is always working. And if the devil is always working to bring darkness, then the only hope is that the church would always be working to bring light. And if the devil is always working, the question is, are you? Let me tell you something that at least for his purposes, which are evil and not good, the devil doesn't waste any time. He doesn't waste a second. He's taking every moment of every potential thing he has and time that has allotted left to him and he is working it for evil. The chaos, the sin, the struggle, the darkness, the oppression, the violence, all of this happening around you is a product of the work of the enemy. He's working overtime. He doesn't take any breaks. He's maximizing every moment. He only scrolls Instagram so that you find something on it you shouldn't find. But he don't scroll it to waste any time. The devil's always working. And if the devil's always working to bring light, it is a necessity, therefore, that we, as God's people, always be working to bring light. And therefore, you see the seriousness of the situation. Because the days are dark, it is necessary that we seize the opportunity we have been given to make the most of the day and bring light. To do this, we must be careful so we can be courageous. So as you're hearing this, I'm sure there's two parts of you. One gets motivated, says, yeah, you know. The other gets depressed and thinks, Ugh, I can't really do that, you know. I'm so tired, you know, I just don't. I feel so defeated, or I, you know, I'm gonna wake up and go to work tomorrow, and you know, what do you want me to do? And you feel defeated. Well, I understand that. I obviously feel the same way many times. I wanna help you be courageous. I wanna help you seize the day. And I wanna give you this example. So we're gonna talk about being filled by the Spirit in a minute. Uh, but the first thing we must consider is, is, what is it? what is the will of God? As it says here in the passage, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What does that have to do with making the best use of my time? And I wanna bring you to Joshua chapter one, where we learn the same principle of being careful so you can be courageous. So Joshua is taking over for Moses who just died. His charge is to enter the promised land, which involves beating a lot of armies and taking over lots of cities. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty big task in front of him for him to seize. So obviously like anyone, this would be intimidating. So God meets Joshua. He's got a big task and God meets him. And this is what he says. Verse, verse seven, chapter one, he says, Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. Here's the phrase, being, what's the word? Careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be, what's the word? Careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and, what's the word? Courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is a promise we can hold on to as well, but I want you to see what he's telling Joshua here, that the key to being courageous is first being careful. Careful to do what? Keep the word of God. We cannot be courageous unless we are carefully paying attention to the word of God. Look what it says here in Ephesians 5. I want to connect the dots for you. So it says, do not be foolish, which is to waste your time and, and lose it, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
So understanding the will of God is crucial to living out the way of God and making the most of your life. And here's something for you to write down and take with you that we can only know the will of God if we know the word of God. So you see how this works. You need, I need to understand the will of God so that I can live according to his will and not waste my life. The only option of living a good, useful life that makes the best use of your time is to do so according to God's will. But sometimes we kind of think about it like, well, God's will is like 100% best, super Christian. And then, you know, some good choices are like 90%. And then, you know, being a horrible person's down here is 0%. That's not worth it. But we have this scale of like, well, there's some good ways I can live my life. No, the only, only, without exception, useful way, a good, healthy, hopeful, godly way to live your life is according to the will of God. And anything that's not according to the will of God is sin. And it is neglecting making the best use of your time. If you are not living according to God's will, you are living a foolish life. And every fork in the road now, look at that, not as wise, but unwise. Remember, every five minutes you have the opportunity to live foolishly or to live wisely. And how are you going to do that? I mean, how in the world could any of us possibly make a good decision with consistency over that long a period of time? That's why you call it decision paralysis. You know, I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. I can't make any more good decisions. I can't make any more bad ones. I just can't make any more. Because you're relying too much on yourself. You know the will of God. How? By being attentive to the word of God. This is what he says here. Joshua, you must be careful to do according to all the law that I've commanded you. He says, this book of law shall not depart your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful. Careful for what? To do what is written in it. So you see how this works now. The only possible way for you to live according to the will of God with consistency at every fork in the road to live as wise and not as unwise in the midst of a minefield of problems and destruction and while you're fighting off the forces of evil. You know, um, this is the reality of your life. The only way to possibly do that while you're going to work and raising kids and cooking food and paying bills and doing your life, the only possible way is to give careful attention to the word of God. And as you give careful attention to the word of God, you begin to progress in your knowledge of God and of his will. And you over time become a person, as the word says, whose words, who the words of God abide in you. They live in you. And you become a person who does the will of God more on instinct than by decision you begin to supernaturally understand at every fork in the road, what is it that God would want? And how can I live in accordance with that? But you must be careful. And let me tell you, I love you and I'm glad that you care about God's word at some level, but one minute a day on a devotional app is not giving careful attention to the word of God. I don't know why we expect to live victoriously without living vigilantly. I think I said that wrong. Vigilantly, vigilantly. I don't even know right now which one's the right word to use. 
vigilantly. Got it. Wonderful. Last service, I called um, being unwise not wisdom. I said, you could live with not wisdom. I don't even know what that means, but I think you do. Okay. So this is the problems of talking for a living, all right? Sometimes my words will fail me. All right. So the only possible way to live the right life. Now, understand this as well. Remember I said in the beginning, you, you have multiple options. You can live according to the will of the world or the spirit of the world. You can live according to the will of yourself or the spirit of yourself. And we see the faultiness in both of those lines of thinking. It, it never pans out like it is supposed to. It certainly doesn't provide what it's supposed to. So when I live according to the will of the world, I always get let down. It never meets what it's supposed to deliver. It doesn't deliver what it promises. And when I live according to the will of myself, I'm always let down because I know my own weaknesses and insecurities. If I could help myself, I'd have done so already. And so for those of you who may be considering Christianity or you're kind of wondering what this is like, I hope it begins to make sense that when you live according to the will of God, who made you and knows what's best for your life, you're actually going to begin to step into the life you were made for. Every time you keep rejecting God to live for yourself, you're neglecting yourself. You're just setting yourself up for bad decisions and you're taking everyone else's word on it, that being rich or successful is gonna make you happy and then it's not. And then you just end up depressed. That doesn't work. So I hope you open your eyes to consider maybe the will of the Lord isn't some constraint on my freedom, but it's actually the very thing that enables me to be free, to live the life I was made to live without regret, with purpose and power and encouragement. So the will of God, especially for those of you who may be outside of Christ and have the wrong perception on it is actually a great benefit to you. And it would be wise of you to consider what he says in his word so that you can live according to his will. So be careful, be careful to live, be careful to understand the word so you can live according to his will. So if you live according to his will, you'll make the best use of your time and you'll be able to seize the day. Some of the reasons why we're not courageous and we don't have the motivation and the zeal is simply because we're not careful with the word. And if you would change that in your life, you would begin to see some changes in your life. So the next thing he moves to is to be filled with the spirit. And he makes this transition. He says, do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery. And let me just make sure I'll throw everything else in there just in case you thought you got out of it, okay? He means don't be drunk with anything, all right? Say, I don't drink wine, I drink beer, I'm free. No, you're not, you're not. Don't be drunk, period, end of sentence, okay? Don't be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, which is a waste of time, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the what is to make the best use of your time. The how is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he uses this analogy of drunkenness to help us understand what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me just also, this is not a sermon on drinking, but let me just reaffirm that being drunk is a sin and it destroys you in your life and your family and everyone around you. Let me also affirm here that being out of your mind, anytime you are not what the Bible would call sober-minded, you are living in sin because you don't have the capacity to make godly decisions. So let me add here, do not get high. Do not get up on narcotics. Let me just throw it all in there. Just so you know, there's no nuance to this. It's say, if anything you take leads you to not be in your right mind so that you can do the will of God, then that very thing you are using wrongfully. Doesn't matter what it is. You have to be careful in how these things work. Obviously, there's a lot of nuance in the scriptures about drinking and it's not bad necessarily to drink. The Bible never says you can't have a drink. 
but it is obviously very dangerous. Most of us don't have the self-control we think we have, and it usually leads to bad things. So you have to use it with wisdom, and you must at least be careful, and being drunk is a sin against the holy God. It is destroying your life, and it is absolutely wasting your time. So I just want to throw that in there. Side note, wrap it up. If, that, if you needed that for conviction, great, take it. Now he's giving us an example to say, well, don't be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he's giving us a thing we can understand. So to be drunk with wine, we understand it permeates the whole body and it affects all my decisions, right? So when somebody is drunk, you are completely permeated. If I took blood from anywhere in your body, the blood alcohol level would be there. It would be anywhere in your body. It permeates the whole body. And it also affects all of your decisions, right? When you're drunk, you're not deciding anymore what's good and not good to say. You're just saying things. And many of you have regretted many of the things you've said in that moment. It affects everything about you and it permeates your whole self. And it leads towards now being drunk is the deciding factor of all the other things that happen in your life. It would be because you were drunk, you did X, Y, and Z. It permeated and then it led the way. This is what now he's saying now, obviously that's the way you understand, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be completely permeated by the Holy Spirit and to have all of your decisions, all of your faculties, all of your words, everything about you to be affected by the influence of the Holy Spirit. And just like you can, excuse me, be more or less drunk, you can also be more or less filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is important for us to understand Uh, The Bible here describes, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the way I'm saying it here is always be filling up with the Holy Spirit because the Bible describes this as a constant thing you need to pursue, not a one-time thing. This is why it's a game changer for your life is now every day should be an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you something as well. The Bible is going to help you now, and especially for all of you, whether you consider consider about Christ or not. The greatest piece of time management advice ever given in the history of the world is handed down right here. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The greatest productivity tool that has ever been, ever, ever given to the human race, and the command to do it is this, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The greatest life hack that you could ever have to make the most of everything in your life and to do everything the best you can do it is one simple piece of advice to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If I could aggregate every piece of advice on Google about how to live a useful life and make the most of your time, it would all be whittled down. Truthfully, that's not how Google would find it, but it would be this way in truth. It all come down to the one thing that decides whether you are making good use of your time is not your habit journal or your productivity magazine or the things you're learning online or the things that you're... The one thing that determines how you live your life is this thing be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the one thing. And once you have this one thing and it's filling you up, it permeates and affects everything else. And this is what we ought to pursue. And the beauty of this is, the reality is that you can have more full, more filling of the Holy Spirit than you have right now. So the opportunity awaits you. Now let me explain this theologically because I think this is important for us to understand. So Ephesians 1, as we've been working through Ephesians, we've already talked about this. Verse 13 says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit upon belief and faith in Christ. 
So here's something for you to write down, for you to think upon so that your theology stays right as you pursue this experience with God. You are fully sealed by the Spirit upon salvation, but you can be more or less filled by the Spirit on a daily basis. You are fully sealed by the Spirit upon salvation. So Ephesians 1, 13, right? You are, the Spirit comes, the God sends the Holy Spirit. The Bible describes it as a deposit based on your inheritance. So when you believe and put your trust in Christ, which some of you need to do today, you repent from your sins. You say, not my way, but your way. I am a sinner and I need Jesus as my Savior. You turn to Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus, which some of you need to do. And the Bible says the promise God makes then is he sends the Holy Spirit because the inheritance you have is eternal life. That's the house that you're buying. And the deposit, the guarantee that the house can be bought is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and he seals it, right? Airtight, baby. He takes that can of your life and he seals it, man. Nothing else can get in there. He sealed it. And you know for sure that the Holy Spirit is yours. You can never, ever, ever lose the Holy Spirit. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are sealed and it is done. And you have the Holy Spirit, praise God, and he will never leave you. Now, some of that you guys understand, but it's led you to neglect the second part. Is that just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And this is the key to your existence. You are sealed, but you can be more or less filled. And as you pursue being filled by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, all of these other things will begin to change in your life and you will be enabled to seize the day. So how do I become filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible gives us three things right here. There's many others um, that we could talk about, which I think we'll do next week. This deserves some more attention. But right here, the Bible gives us three. So it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it gives you a list. And I'm gonna summarize them with these three words. Sing, say thanks, and submit. Those are three things you can do today, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, first, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God. So coming to sing, listening to worship music, gathering with your family or friends, going to a group, singing to God in the context of other Christians, which the Bible calls singing to one another, and doing so with your heart is a way in which now you are posturing yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me explain it like this. Let's say, okay, this is your life. This is your soul. Okay. And this water bottle is the Holy Spirit. All right. So the Bible describes the spirit like water often. All right. So we're being theologically sound. The Holy Spirit now, uh, has everything that you need, but here's you and you're currently, you know, empty or on low, you know, the fuel gauge, wherever the fuel gauge is at. Now, here's what it means to be always filled with the Holy Spirit, because that's a passive to be filled or to always be being filled is kind of how you'd say it if you just played it out word for word. Always be being filled. So uh, when you consider that, you say, what am I actually supposed to do? If I'm going to be filled, somebody else has to do the filling. Right? So I don't just pick up the Holy Spirit and fill my life with the Holy Spirit. I don't do that myself. So the question now is, what am I supposed to do? And what you are supposed to do is create the space and opportunity 
for the Holy Spirit to pour himself into your life. Think about it like this. So your life is like this. And as you come to church and you make a decision to do that and you gather yourself and you worship and you hear the word of God, what you're doing is you're slowly unscrewing the cap of your soul and you're leaving room now for the Holy Spirit who's already got what you need to begin to come fill you up. And as you undo the cap of your soul, and as you sit with the word of God in the morning, you're undoing the cap of your soul. As you gather with other believers to confess sin, you're undoing the cap of your soul. As you come to church and worship and sing and praise the Lord, even when you don't feel like it and your singing is an act of faith, you're undoing the cap of your soul and you're simply positioning yourself now. You're saying, I'm here. My cap is open. Holy Spirit, come fill me up. And then through these activities, the Holy Spirit begins to do as you sing and as faith arises in your heart, begins to provide for you the thing you could not provide for yourself, which is to fill you up. But the issue is often we leave the cap of our soul on by neglecting the word of God, by neglecting song, by neglecting church, by neglecting the people of God, by neglecting the mission of God. And as I do that, I'm leaving the cap on my life and therefore it stays empty as opposed to releasing the cap of my life, positioning myself. The Holy Spirit's always working. It's like a waterfall that's always running and I just need to step into it so it can fill me up. And the Bible then says, well, this is how you step into that. First is you sing. It gives you three types of songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So psalms is the the the, the book of the Bible, 150 psalms. We get a song book from God. Great. So we have that. Then the word for hymns is tradition. So songs that Christians write that are based on the Bible, good godly songs, but they're not explicit word for word Bible. That's the second one. The third one it describes as spiritual songs, which would be actually the word for spontaneous songs from the heart, meaning that there ought to be lyrics that you sing to God that were written by no one else, but by the Holy Spirit directly deposited onto your heart. And if all you ever do is sing songs that somebody else wrote for you, then you are neglecting a huge part of worship. We ought to be exploding with spontaneous, spirit-given songs that are deposited into our heart that we ought to express publicly. This is a real act of worship. And so these are the things we must do. As we sing, the Spirit fills. This has been true through the Old Testament, and now it's true in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, as they worship, the Spirit would fill the physical temple. And in the New Testament, as Ephesians 2.22 teaches us, we are God's dwelling place. As we sing, the Spirit fills the New Testament temple, which is you. And as you come and sing, the Spirit fills the temple of the Lord, which you are and you can live full of the Holy Spirit. The second thing it says is to say thanks. It says, always giving thanks and for everything to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So sing and then say thanks. Uh, you all, uh, John covered some of this last week, and so just the idea of thankfulness thing is really important. I'll just say this one phrase, right? Uh, that complaining is draining. So the opposite of thankfulness is complaints. And I'm either setting myself up to live full of the Spirit or I'm neglecting what the Spirit has been doing in my life. And so what complaining does is it, it does, it's the reverse effect of thankfulness. So thankfulness releases the cap as I give God thanks for everything, even the hard things. And I come to him and I say, you're so good. You're so faithful. I do these things even when I'm not feeling it. And the Lord, I open the cap and the Lord begins to pour the Holy Spirit deeply into my life. But let's say you come to church and you're filled up with what God is doing, but then you walk out and your kids or your wife 
life or somebody bothers you and you begin to complain to God or to them about your life or about something in your life, what you're doing is you're sticking a little like a hole in the bottom of the cup that the Lord just filled out and everything the spirit just deposited in you begins to drain out. You see how this works? Because, okay, you can't lose the Holy Spirit, remember, but you can have more or less experience of the Holy Spirit. So if what God gave you was a temporary filling of the Holy Spirit that does not last and has to be maintained and kept up with, it can also be lost. And if I complain, I drain out what the, the, the Spirit of the Lord just deposited in me. And every time you complain, you're draining out yourself and you're draining out other people. It's doing the opposite of being filled with the Spirit. The last thing is submit. It says we must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Listen, the very things, so what submitting really means here is that you're laying down your preferences for the good of another. The whole body of Christ. You're serving. As we say, we are here to serve and not be served, which is what Jesus said about himself. So submission is to lay down my preferences and desires. And as Philippians 2 says it this way, uh, let no one consider his own needs more important than others. So now you're submitting your, even your needs and you're saying they're not as important as yours. Now what that looks like in our life is emptiness. If I serve, then I, I, with the lie is I begin to drain myself and I don't have what I need. But the opposite becomes true in the spiritual realm that as I serve and give away from myself, I've now emptied myself so that the spirit can deposit himself in me. This is why John the Baptist said, I decrease and you increase, which is what the Lord wants to give you in your life. And so I wanna invite the band back up and we're gonna close just being, uh, attempting to access this experience with God and to remember who he is for us. I wanna remind you of one final thing about what this means for us is that oftentimes in your spiritual life, you're going to end up showing up to places or lighthouses or service opportunities or churches. You're gonna show up empty. You're gonna to get to the word of God and you're gonna come empty. And as opposed to that being discouraging to you, you need to begin to think the other way is that when the Lord's teaching us about being filled with the spirit, you know what that means for your everyday life and for coming to church like this is to say, I can show up empty, but I don't have to leave empty. If I show up empty and open myself to the Holy Spirit, I can leave full. I can show up in sin and shame, but I can leave forgiven and victorious. I can show up mourning, but I can leave dancing. I can show up struggling, but I can leave succeeding. I can show up disappointed and I can leave hopeful. I can show up empty and I can leave full because if I show up and I ask the Lord, he's gonna come and fill me with this Holy Spirit and everything I needed before I stepped into this place, the Lord now has provided in Jesus' name. This is what it means to open yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have shown up lonely this morning and I'm telling you, you can leave loved. The key is to open yourself to the Holy Spirit. You may have shown up just so hopeless and the Lord wants you to leave hopeful. The key is to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to do now, I want you to stand up and we're gonna, we're gonna start singing and I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord and I, just in your heart, or if you wanna say it, just say, come Holy Spirit. Just say, come Holy Spirit, come fill us up, Lord. Do what a sermon cannot do. Do what a song cannot do, Lord. Do what a service cannot do, Lord. Would you give to each one of us as we need? 
Would you come and fill up the places that are empty and lacking, Lord? Would you take the areas of disappointment and struggle and would you meet us as the comforter? Would you take the areas of sin and would you meet us as the chain breaker, Lord, and set us free? Oh, Holy Spirit, God, we ask now that you would come and that you would fill us up and that you would be to us everything that we need from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.